So I don't think it's going to come as much of a surprise to you that Threshold is widely considered one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever made. Okay, I can... I, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I can see that. I mean, I, I assume that comes from the same school of thought that Star- Spock's brain is one of the worst episodes of, but I don't know. I was with Threshold for most of it. It was... If it was a nothing special Brandon Bragg, a body horror episode, it was a... Uh, everything that's happening to Tom Paris is horrible. If the actor doesn't do as great of a job being this creature version of Paris, whatever, when the doctor is explaining what's happening, those parts are appropriately horrifying, hearing that, you know, oh, his organs are liquefying, he has new organs. That it's It was really the last five minutes when you have lizard babies that I think it began to go off the rails. Uh, absolutely i think that that i'm with you that i i don't necessarily think that threshold is one of the worst episodes of star trek ever made i could probably list 20 episodes that i think are worse and primarily because i I don't necessarily think that the first 20 to 30 minutes of this episode are are that bad and really what it comes down to like you said is, is that last five minutes of the episode and and specifically the the scene when Tuvok and Chakotay beam down to, <laughs> to the planet and and find the you know salamander catfish people uh, uh animatronic people that that are also having CGI babies and you know we we used to talk a lot in in the original series about whether or not it was camp and I, I think that you know you you said it was camp a lot more than I did I don't necessarily think that a lot of TOS is camp but I I I definitely think that part of the tone problem with Threshold is the last five minutes because I think that you could probably put uh, the last five minutes of this episode in the Wikipedia entry on camp and and everyone would understand exactly yeah. what camp was at that <laughs> point because and it's not even the, it's not even just Tuvok and Chakotay finding the babies it's also that that weird scene with Janeway and Paris at the end of the episode in sick I have to say I kind of appreciate that because we became lizards we had lizard sex I laid eggs and they had babies in 3 days um is a really weird conversation with a lot of baggage into it you know when you're just dealing with two people let alone a captain and her subordinate. So I like that Janeway kind of just plows ahead and has this horribly awkward conversation because it's never going to be less awkward. There is no less awkward version of this conversation to have. We just need to rip the Band-Aid off, make two jokes about it, and then just agree to forget about this for the rest of the series. Otherwise, it'll be a thing. Right, and I I, I think all that's right, but... I still cringed watching the scene. Right, like, why make this episode and i i think that that's really what it comes down to is that you know the last scene is weird the last scene is uncomfortable uh it, it may be a good idea it may be not not be a good idea in a, in a universe where where janeway and paris uh, uh turned into salamander catfish people and had had babies together that <laughs> they need to have a conversation about it and put it to bed <laughs> but but i think that that what it really comes down to for me is like what the fuck was Brian and Braga thinking with this? Yeah. And and I I fundamentally do not know. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, this is that one of the very first Brian and Braga episodes, the one with Jordy, where he where he becomes a lizard and he's trying to figure out what's going. Like that was this this is a retelling of this that episode, but one that's not nearly as good and one that doesn't even have as clear of a point. Yeah, I don't know what the point of this episode is and i think that Mm -hmm. if it's just to showcase 
Tom Paris and to showcase uh, uh, Pat, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robert Duncan McNeil's acting abilities. I mean, let's be charitable and say that that's a fine idea even though i don't know that he's necessarily the, the most well-versed actor on the show i was gonna uh, say if they wanted to show off his acting abilities hey they, they they this was not the way but yeah especially in the next episode when you have tim russ doing such an amazing job of of an emotional vulcan but we'll get to that in a few minutes yeah uh, i mean when you have tim russ doing an emotional vulcan and brad Dourif being in well, it, we'll, well talk yeah we'll, we'll talk, talk yeah, about we that <laughs> but but i think that that what it comes down to for me is that that brad and braga seems very interested in the idea of evolution i mean i had forgotten about yeah. the, the i mean i hadn't forgotten about it but but in context of this conversation i certainly had the the episode where where jordy does become a lizard person um and with that romulan subplot i, I think what was it identity crisis i think it was called and and then uh, uh, the seventh season episode of TNG, which was very focused on the idea of the crew de-evolving, and and which you know is bullshit. Frankly, that I mean, I guess that could happen. It's it's more it's more scientifically consistent to to have a previous version of uh, a spe- a species come to light than to have a logical endpoint of evolution because that's yeah, not how well, evolution neither. works and. I don't necessarily look to Star Trek for scientific accuracy. That's not why I'm watching the show. But I think there are certain there are certain plot elements or certain themes that I think that you know Star Trek Discovery um, should stay away from. And I think that mm. it's time travel, <laughs> and I think that it's evolution. Oh, yeah. I I don't want to see Star well, Trek yeah, ever I... do anything with those again because it's just incomprehensible gobbledygook most of the time. I, I guess the, I mean this concept of evolutionary levels and de-evolving, or we're going to speed up evolution. I mean, this is a hokey sci-fi trope, and yes, it. I, I guess its use is so against how evolution works. I'm not even a remotely on an evolutionary scientist, and yet I, I, I know this is you know evolution is in response to. Then why do you call yourself Doctor Goodness? Because it gets me laid. Um. Evolution is in response to environment. Um, it's not as if you're you have an endpoint and then you pick your perfect right. environment, as is the case here. I mean, yes, creatures living on this swamp planet at the end of this probably would evolve to be to deal with warmer temperatures, moister environments, uh, more of a amphibious nature. Sure, that would happen, but. I mean, Tom Paris is doing his evolution on a spaceship. He would if if we can agree that. Yes, warp 10 speeds up the evolution of your body. Let Yes, let's pretend that th- we have to accept even that much. Well, he would be evolving in response to the perfect being to live on this spaceship. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And and I would actually which and Frank, that would have been a be- yeah, that would have been a more be, interesting episode, I think. Like <laughs> you, it, it, vo- vo- Oh my god, the the symbolism of this Voyager is our new home and we are changing to live on Voyager, just as the Maquis and Starfleet are learning to row together, they are changing to live on Voyager. Yeah, I'm not really usually with you episode. when you fix episodes, but I think that that is, is such a good idea that that I, I wish that episode had been threshold because, <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know what Brandon Braggett was was interested in here, and I don't know why he thought this was a good idea. And I'm not, you know, at some point, I don't think I want to do it right now. At some point, we're going to have to grapple with Brandon Braggett as a writer. Uh, maybe when we get to Enterprise, that will be the time to go. Maybe when he takes over showrunning duties uh, uh, on Star Trek Voyager in, in season five, maybe it's a good opportunity. Because there's a certain degree of 
he's he's got his one episode and he's written it many times and he's written it very well several times but we're getting diminishing returns on it yeah. there aren't i mean that i'm i'm thinking of that the, that Jordy episode, uh, one of the standout scenes of that is when he's using the holodeck to recreate the scene, and it's, you know, okay, well, what's that shadow? All right, adjust for that. And it's a terrifying and wonderful scene. Um, did he write schisms as well? I believe he did, yes. Yeah, and, and, and that scene when they're recreating, oh, no, it was more like a drill. Oh, no, it was a table. Like, the, the he does these set pieces that are really tense, that ratchet it up when they're slowly figuring out what exactly is going on and we don't have anything like that in this episode so it isn't even a good Brandon Braga episode yes the body horror elements of it are appropriately terrifying and gross and creepy well that I I would yeah I agree with that but also but also frankly like in terms of a character to to pick to have turn into a lizard person like why is it tom paris i think it's tom paris only because he hasn't had an episode in a while yeah and i don't i mean i don't know how you're feeling about tom paris but i don't fundamentally care about him and i I don't really find him very interesting and and so this episode does nothing to make me find him more interesting it's a showcase for a you know, charitably speaking, again, not the best actor on the show um, who has to try and pull off something that is very difficult and doesn't really do a great job with it. Uh, and also, he is just stuck in sickbay for most of the episode, which is also fundamentally uninteresting. And I'm with you. Like, Brian and Braga is a good writer. I think Brian and Braga gets a bad rap. Um, I don't think Brian and Braga was everything that was wrong with Star Trek. I think that's lazy criticism. There yeah. were a lot of problems with with uh, uh, especially Enterprise, and and I don't think that Voyager or Enterprise are as bad as people say they are. Um, and also, I I don't necessarily think that they're bad, quote unquote. But to to me, it's like at some point you, you have to say, okay, you're doing the same thing over and over again. You're writing the same episode over and over again. And you're just not that interested in making it uh, uh, new or making it dynamic because I guess you're betting that people haven't seen it before. And and this is just really, really bad. Like even the – I think that the payoff at the end of Identity Crisis or the payoff at the end of Schisms are not that interesting. But that's not the point. The episodes yeah. have a mood. The episodes have a, a, a focus. The episodes kind of have these really, really well-constructed set-piece scenes that work very well. What does this episode have? It does not have anything. It has uh, Tom Paris turning into a lizard person and shaking in sick bay. That's just not very interesting to watch. Yeah, the, uh, uh, it, and especially at the end, if you want to have... I, I guess I, it also feels very undercut by the fact that the ultimate form of humanity is the salamander catfish. I mean, it's a letdown, right? If you want to, if you're going to use this episode to show me something really creepy that humanity is going to evolve into, and it's that, yeah, like why <laughs> and, and why and 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 especially in a franchise where the the logical endpoint of evolution has always been energy beings. Yes. Why is he not turning into an energy being? Like, there's so many different ways that you could take this, and it just speaks to a fundamental, I think, lack of imagination. <laughs> and well, and again, feels... I, I've never been a staff writer on a television show. I generally don't know how hard it is to to write a lot yeah. of episodes for a television show. I'm sure it's very difficult. And you know, I think Brian and Braga has written you know, six episodes so far this season or something like that. So he's probably pretty tired already. 
Um, well, that's the thing. This is one of those, you know, out of 26 episodes, 10 of, the, you know, six of them may just be, we need to fill this in. Brandon Braga could probably write this episode on autopilot. It is, I in a way, it's he, a lazy, ep- what? I think he did write it on autopilot. Yeah. I need an episode. We need a script. Okay. Uh, evolutionary levels, lizards. Oh, warp, te- you know, pick a grab bag of three, four terms and just vomit out a script. I mean, that that may be... This may be something he just did over a, over an evening just because he needed one. Well, I think that's right because, you know, if I look at this episode and I say, what went wrong with it? I think for me, it fundamentally speaks to the idea of there was a there was a concept here. There was a core idea that was interesting. But Brandon Braga either did not know what to do with it or did not have enough time to to develop an interesting story to, to hang this around. And I think that the idea of... Okay, we've got this absolute speed limit in Star Trek that was established, you know, uh, in in TNG. No, no ship can go faster than warp ten. What would that mean? Uh, it, it, we also had, you know, uh, 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 transwarp uh, technology established way back in. I think it was Star Trek. What was the first appearance of the USS Excelsior? Was that Star Trek Two? I don't remember. But I have no idea. Maybe it was. I think maybe. Oh no, I think it was Star Trek Three actually. Um, with the you know the mustachioed guy who was very like we're gonna take this ship out on a journey and then they stole it or whatever no uh, uh what's his name uh, um scotty uh sabotaged the engines in star trek 3 so he couldn't go after them when they were stealing the enterprise that ship had transwarp technology uh turns out that it didn't work but that's that's another thing hmm. so you kind of get this idea okay this is an interesting idea this is extrapolating out um something in star trek that has been established for a long time I'm with you. I think the first 10, yeah. 15 minutes of the episode are really interesting. They're solving this problem. It's exciting. You know, even to the point where the episode starts out in that fake out with with Tom Paris in the holodeck. And you think, you know, I mean, obviously, once the ship explodes, you're, they're not going to kill Tom Paris in the opening of, of an episode in season two. But it, it does have all those hallmarks of an inspired Brown and Braga opening. And then it just yeah. goes off the rails. <clears throat> Well, I'm more – here's the thing. I'm much more interested in the implications of warp technology than I am with uh, evolutionary levels. I mean there is that conversation where Janeway's saying, you know, this is going to change our very existence, and it is true. If warp 10 exists in this way where they can exist in any point and appear at any point, then that makes distance utterly irrelevant. That is going to entirely change – civilization as every civilization knows it this is a singularity moment and the episode very neatly ignores all elides any stakes that it builds up in that line which it does build up some very strong and evocative stakes in that line but but overrides them very easily by saying oh well you know even if you can't do it, it's going to kill you. So we're not going to do it. Well, right, because it's like okay, they they they're able to do this technology. They're able to create this technology that actually works. They are able to to travel at an infinite velocity and be everywhere at once. Right, as uh, Neelix kind of weirdly <laughs> understands it. I mean, I do like the scene with Neelix and yeah, where he gives him the idea. But in in terms of dramatic complexity i'm not sure because you know they've had a lot of opportunities to to send voyager home and it hasn't happened so this is not going to be the episode where they get home i understand that they they need to have some sort of a reason why this why this technology which is working is not going to be able to be adapted to voyager and get them home 
But I don't know that turning into lizard people is the way to do that. And again, it just speaks to a fundamental lack of uh, any sort of dramatic interest that was developed in this episode. And yeah, uh, well, the I, I, I'm thinking a little bit about um, the episode last week with uh, C-3PO. Uh, what, what was that episode called? Uh, prototype. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking of last week's episode, Prototype, a little bit, where you have this, we can create this technology, but it is, is, it, uh, is it a responsible thing to create this? Or do we have the right to do that? And that is, an in, that is a theme that I think, uh, that I think could, be very, could be more interesting with this. Do we have the right to break the barrier of Warp 10, even if we can? Again, the, the, the episode dodges that question because it's not... I. I Maybe Brandon Braggett is not capable of getting to that kind of philosophical depths. We've seen the we've seen the series go into that kind of a moment, go into that s- serious. Yeah. All right. We we have a technology, or we have the possibility of an alliance, or we have uh we we can do this, but will it be going against our principles? And should we just be doing technology for its own sake? I wish this episode had had a little more of that kind of a meat to it. I, I think you're right, but I also think that at this point in the podcast, we yeah. we both are probably aware that Brian and Braga is not the writer to do that. Right? Maybe maybe this episode would have been better pairing him off with someone who could handle it. Yeah, I just I don't who who could do that on the writing staff. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I don't. We've certainly had episodes that deal with interesting moral problems, but I don't know that something this profoundly that would profoundly change uh, the, yeah. the galaxy would would is something that the show should even be doing at this point. I mean, it even elides the the question of perhaps this technology wouldn't even really be able to be adapted because the only reason they were able to do this in the first place is because they found some dilithium that yeah. was stable at more high, higher temperature or whatever the fuck they say. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but uh, you know, it's, it's clean burning coal or whatever. I mean, it doesn't really matter. So we don't even know if they could actually adapt this technology to be used uh, all throughout the Federation. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very, very odd. I, I, yeah. I, I think that's the best way to approach this episode. It's just, <laughs> it's odd. And I think, yes, the last five minutes of the episode are legitimately terrible. I don't know what they were thinking. but Yeah, I, I, and I feel like if, it had, if they hadn't had babies, it would be a little less awkward. But there, it, I, I guess I don't really want to deal with the implications of the sex between Jane Lizard Janeway and Lizard Paris. It, it that grosses me out a little bit. Yeah, and also why do they have to like shoehorn this weird because uh, Janeway says, well maybe it was my idea. You know, some females of some species are the ones that drive mating. And you're just uh, like, ew, 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 why are yeah, you saying yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What what is going on in your head, Janeway? Why? Why, why, why? Is it only because you're the captain? Like who cares? Are we also we also got to hear uh, Tom Paris talking about losing his virginity in his bedroom, that he spent all of his time crying and reading books, and I'm like... Uh, yeah, what was that? I'm, what like what, that, what, what was that, fundamentally? Like, I don't, I don't know why, like, oh, uh, God. I think- we know, we now know that Brandon Braga has devoted 
time in his life to thinking of the sex lives of the crew of Voyager, and that is a thought that I cannot unthink. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Brian and Braga apparently was a, a ladies' man, uh, and I use that term very specifically. So, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, mm. let, let's let's move far away from the lizard babies because I don't know that I have uh, much else to say about it, and I'm getting very uncomfortable. Um, so, there's two other things that I want to mention about about Threshold. Uh, number one, of course, is that we have a second weird shoehorn scene in with uh, crew member Maki uh, talking yeah. to a Kazon. Um, I think this is interesting primarily for two reasons. Number one, it is an ongoing storyline. And yes. two, uh, it is a very, very different way of telling a story that we haven't really seen a Star Trek show do before. Um, yeah, well, it, it, in, it's in, it's a very sort of it's a very sort of modern feeling storytelling device where you just sort of shoehorn in and shoehorn in a scene that has nothing to do with the episode that you're talking about. Yeah, last week when we, when we had the one scene and oh, it doesn't really d- he nothing came of him talk his his talking to the Kazon. They didn't find out anything from him that they didn't end up finding out on their own later anyway. Um, all he did was really give them a few hours ahead of news. So nothing really came of that. I thought of it as just a okay. Some crew members are going to go behind the back. Some there aren't just. Not just Seska is interested in working with the Kazan or doing something else to get out of their situation. Um, and yeah, seeing it in this episode, again, where nothing really comes of it, we assume if the Kazan are going to adapt this technology, they're not going to be able to... They, they, they will be victim to the same things that uh, Tom Paris and Janeway are, and they won't have the expertise to solve it anyway. So it's going to solve itself in a way, but... Yeah, something is going to come out of that. They have an endpoint for that storyline, and maybe it'll be in the finale, maybe it'll be sooner, I don't know, but something bad is going to happen from this. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty uh, obvious that something bad is going to happen, because, of course, the, the Kazan are not going to just let Voyager... Uh, uh, continue on and, and without having any sort of resolution to that plot line i you know i don't know what's going to happen with that um but we'll we'll just have to wait and see i guess uh and, and the last thing i want to mention before we move on to meld is just a minor observation that um the one thing that i i guess i've never really noticed about star trek voyager before is that um a lot of the characters are extremely snarky and i kind of like that yeah <laughs> like tom, tom paris is snarky balana snarky the doctor is really snarky uh neelix can be kind of snarky um it, it's an interesting choice i i don't know that there's much to say about it but it's just something that i've noticed because that is not really a star trek sort of um yeah thing. uh maybe it was the era that it was becoming this is going into the late 90s which is going to be which is became a much more sarcastic time so this could just be a victim of that. I mean, even DS, DS9 didn't quite go into that, but it was created a little earlier, and I don't know. I mean, DS9's a different show with different characters. I just think it's yeah. you know, uh, indicative of the fact that, that maybe a lot of these people don't like each other very much. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, they're not, they're not at home. They're not happy, and they, right. they aren't. They've lost their they, – they still have hope, but they've lost a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, well, let's talk about Meld. I guess what I think about in this episode is that poor Janeway has to deal two weeks in a row with a trusted crew member flipping the fuck out on her. Um, 
and I feel like this is going to be this is a recurring theme in Janeway's life. You know, we, we which I mean, we talked a lot about in TNG, like oh god, another week where Data gets taken over by a virus or something right. like that, or it becomes evil. Why do they still let him on? And Again, this is another desperation. They can't replace these crew members ever, right? They, 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 they have to deal with what they get. So even if we have a crew that is very susceptible to turning evil from episode to episode, there's no recourse. It's a, I don't know. It, and I think this episode deals in a very salient way with what do we do to punish uh, people who have done horrible things when we have this particular situation where. Uh, we can't really get Federation justice as we know it. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point because one of the things that always strikes me about Meld is, you know, Tuvok's insistence that they should should uh, execute uh, yeah. Suter is is obviously uh, supposed to indicate his mental state in terms of uh, this this idea about Suter's psychopathic murderous tendencies leaking into into Tuvok's psyche and. I, I think that it's interesting only because I could definitely see a different version of this episode that is more about the philosophical underpinnings of is it is it moral or not to execute someone in, yeah. in when you have such limited resources. And that is not what this episode turns out to be. I don't necessarily have a, a problem with that, but I, I just appreciate the fact that the show raises the question because I I do see a, you know, just in terms of, culture and in terms of of the kind of debate that we have surrounding capital punishment and you know again if you're not american you're probably shaking your head because most civilized countries do not have capital punishment anymore uh, at least not for for the vast majority of crimes that you know the reason why capital punishment was happening in the first place of course and why we used to execute people and why places around the world still do. And, and it, historically it happened is because of a lack of resources. You know, you, you, you could not afford to keep people around that were not contributing to society. And, and more, moreover, they were taking up resources. They were taking up food. They were taking up uh, uh, water, you know, medicine, all these things. And in a society well, of limited say, resources, that's yeah. not really going to work out very well for anybody. Uh, but I would say there are also uh, philosophical. There are some fil- strong philosophical reasons you can't uh, elide completely. You kill somebody because you believe that they cannot be rehabilitated, that they are fully just a bad person, and that they cannot atone for their crime. And so, you know, you kill them. I think it, you know it makes perfect sense that in the Federation there is no capital punishment because the Federation is going to find a re- way to rebuil- rehabilitate in any case, right? They're going to do their damnedest to figure out a way of getting some use to it. And yes, they do have the advantage of unlimited resource due to matter replication. Um, I, I think that I think that some of that is true, certainly. I, I, I do, uh, just as a I devil's guess, advocate, I, I will say that I, I do wonder about uh, what the justification for that is. You know, this is kind of a chicken and egg problem, right? Because I think that the idea about criminals as being morally reprehensible and, and not being able to be rehabilitated uh, could possibly come from the very real, uh, the very real uh, 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 material yes. limitations that, that societies had on their resources. And that is a way to justify or, or, make it sort of morally right to to execute people i i think and again you know it's it's a chicken and egg situation i think that you yeah, could, could it, argue both ways but 
I, I just think that the idea of the Federation as, you know, the Federation has the luxury of yeah. not executing people. And the Federation also has the luxury of being able to uh, rehabilitate most criminals. Uh, Voyager has neither of those. And so what does Voyager do with someone like Suter? Yeah. And then the other, I mean, there is the further question of even if we're doing that, are we, are we doing that because we've made this cold calculus of our resources are best spent this way and Suter is okay with this? And, you know, are the, or are we give, go giving into our desire to punish? Because they, they certainly, certainly Tuvok is dealing with, uh, is he having feelings where he just wants to kill Suter out of punitive reasons, out of a, just out of bloodlust reasons, or is he doing this out of a sense of justice? And I think that's the other thing. Death penalty can be done just because we'll kill the motherfucker. He killed somebody. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that, that in terms of there, there's a couple things going on here, right? Because I think that, that before Tuvok does the mind melt, of course, he is shocked that, that someone is murdered on Voyager. Frankly, I, I, I don't think that murder is something that generally happens on Starfleet vessels, right? These are men and women that, and, and, you know, non-binary species that um, go through extensive training that are the best of the best of the best. And the, the idea that a murder would happen on a Starfleet yeah. vessel in this day and age is, is frankly unthinkable. And so, and especially in most ships have counselors again, Voyager does not have a counselor and somebody like Suter, if Deanna Troy were on that, she would be meeting with him regularly and dealing with his and figure and, and getting him the help to discipline his mind. She probably would have put him and Tuvok together to work together earlier. Yeah, no, I, well, I think that's right because I think that that if they did have a counselor on board, that that everybody would be would be much better off. But of course, you're talking about a situation where a lot of these people probably have undiagnosed PTSD, and uh, yeah. you know, not everybody is a is a psychopathic murderer like like Suter is, but certainly everybody has their own their own problems. Uh, but I but I do think that that the opening of the episode is is very striking. You know, this is an idea that is really interesting. I think grapples with some real problems that that only voyager has with the mixing of the starfleet mm-hmm. and maquis crew and you know again once again we have an episode that that undercuts the idea that voyager was not interested in dealing with the maquis you know i don't think that people remember that meld dealt with that and you know it, it's yeah. it's the psychopathic murderer tuvok is going crazy episode but it also does come out of a real place of how are the Maquis feeling? How are they interacting with the crew? How are they integrating into Voyager's crew? And Yeah, they asked the question of how are they dealing with Tuvok, which is something they've really not dealt with before, but it is true. A lot of the Maquis knew Tuvok as one of them who betrayed them to Starfleet. So there are going to be some resentments, which I didn't think of. Yeah, and I you know, I don't know that the I don't know that this episode in particular does a lot with it, but I'm not sure that that's no. the point of this episode and it's also i think it's enough that it's raising that as a possibility because this is kind of a slow burning thing and you know i think most of them are probably okay with it only because they have to be i also think that Suter yeah. is not really that upset at tuvok i think that Suter is just supposed to be a psychopath yeah i mean you know one of the one of the things you know we we can talk about this but the what's the actor's name who plays Suter? i always forget brad doris yeah he's a 
very famous character actor that also became famous for playing these sorts of, of, of murderous roles. I mean, he, we, we did beyond the sea a few, uh, a couple months ago, um, at this point on, on tuning in or other podcast, uh, and from he, the X-Files and on the X-Files. Yeah. And he played, uh, a, a murderer on that episode. He, he yeah. famously played a murderer on an episode of Babylon five. Um, he has that kind of demeanor and he does a very good yeah. job with it. He's very, yeah, very good at playing people who are irredeemable killers, but who are also sites of suffering and struggle and great philosophical and intellectual depth as well. Uh, yeah, he, he always, he's always very fascinating to watch. He is very good at this. <laughs> so, so leaving aside the question of Tuvok for a minute, uh, you know, let's examine Suter then as a character because he he is. I mean, well, one of the questions I want to ask you is is. DS9 was was famous for having a very, very strong bench of secondary characters that primarily was due to the fact that, at least that was the theory we had at the time, that that, that came out of the storytelling device and the location of the show, that, that a stationary space station would have characters there that live there that would just appear over and over again. Uh, Voyager is also similarly kind of in that position hmm. because it, they, it's a very small ship and they have a very small crew, yet we don't have a strong base of secondary characters and it doesn't seem likely that that's about to happen. You know, I don't think that we're going to have Suter well, popping up every five episodes. I mean, what would they do with that? He's in his quarters for the rest of the trip. But at the same time, they do put him on... He, uh, they do end with him existing on the ship and still alive, and I, do, I don't think it would be impossible if we have another Suter episode. I don't know either way. If they don't... I will never notice if he never appears again. I will forget about him, but if he, it will be nice to see him again, and the show certainly has that option. I think it's interesting that you said it'd be nice to see him again, considering he's a murderer, but, you know, hey. No, I, again, I always <laughs> like... Well, I, 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 I always like watching Brad Dorf work, so Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. I, I, I like the I mean I like the character a lot and I think that again it's a very interesting idea and a very shocking idea to have somebody get murdered on a Starfleet vessel. And I also think that it's a very, very strong choice for the episode to not have this be a murder mystery. You know, Suter yeah. is found out very quickly, he confesses very quickly and everything is fine and he's in the brig by minute fifteen. And then, of course, the yeah. episode becomes this this other episode about Tuvok going through a very, very dramatic change. Yeah, the two of them switch personalities a little bit, uh, uh, a lot of bit. I mean, I, I really like seeing uh, the, the the suitor with Vulcan tendencies. Again, I think there is a strong sense of missed opportunity if Tuvok maybe had been wor- – you know, Tuvok says at one point, oh, you need to do discipline every single day, and he comes up with su- certain therapies. The mind meld turns out to be a disaster for the reasons we see in this episode, but if he had not gotten to that point, again, if there had been a counselor on the ship, um, and – Well, I think that, that- – there's a couple things going on here. I, I, I have a question about Tuvok in general, and this is obviously a good place to, to bring it up because Tuvok, this is a Tuvok episode. You know, Tuvok does this mind meld without asking anybody. And that obviously turned out to not be a great idea. And, and Janeway, I'm glad that Janeway at the end of the episode basically says, don't ever do another mind meld without yeah. asking me first. Uh, but why do you think Tuvok does this without permission oh because tuvok 
Tuvok, I wouldn't say he's arrogant or cocky because he is still a Vulcan, but Tuvok has a very strong idea of his abilities. I mean, he he especially working with uh, Kess as much as he has, for example. He he is all about control of one's abilities, control of one's psyche, and so and Tuvok is extraordinarily good at control and discipline. He he, and I don't think his his estimation of his abilities is incorrect most of the time. With Suter, I think he's just not prepared for how dark Suter is. Again, Suter makes no logical sense to uh, to Tuvok. Everybody else on the ship who talks about it can kind of understand, you know, what his soci- sociopathy is, what his tendency to violence is, the way the doctor is explaining it to him, the way Kesson he uh, is talking to Tuvok. Tuvok is just totally confused. He doesn't understand somebody who acts outside the bounds of logic this much. Everybody else can say, well, yeah, sometimes somebody has a brain condition where they just snap and kill somebody. It can happen. Uh, and so I think Tuvok's inability to understand this darkness is what makes him so susceptible to it when he when he tries. I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a that's a good theory. I just I just wonder how realistic it is that Tuvok doesn't apparently understand or even know about the existence of serial killers. I mean, it it just strikes me as strange for someone who's a security officer who is basically a trained policeman uh, that that has no knowledge of this. And yeah, you could you could yeah, you could but... ride it or hand wave it by saying that in the Federation they have cured all mental illness, and so serial killers don't exist anymore, and it's a very old fashioned way of looking at things and. You know, they they don't study it anymore because X reasons, but but it still strikes me as odd. I, I, I think it could legitimately be a blind spot. Again, he's either in Starfleet, where, as you say, people don't get killed very often on Federation vessels. And even in his time at the Maquis, it's kind of implied well, that— Well, people get murdered. Well, people, <laughs> what? people don't get murdered. People still get yeah, killed. Yeah, 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 fair— well, yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, fair distinction. Um, and the Maquis, they make it clear in this episode, well, people— have a lot of outlets for their aggression in the Maquis. And so so I think it is possible that, yes, Tuvok just hasn't personally experienced any of this. And while he could read stories about serial killers, he must f- he does he would feel that, well, perhaps there is a motive that was not uncovered in that case. And again, he's he is in a he is in a Federation vessel and he is seeing somebody who killed and he feels there has to be a motive. He's incorrect, but he well, yeah, he's obviously incorrect. I I don't well, there is a motive though. I mean, the motive is that Suter is a serial killer, and and so I just yeah. I just find it odd that that I don't know. There's a there's a weird way that Vulcans are being developed with the character through the character of Tuvok, where I, I like the portrayal of Tuvok by Tim Russ. I think that the show I, I like to see a, a a main character who's a Vulcan again, but it's turning. I don't know, it seems to have a strange understanding of what Vulcan logic is. And Vulcan mm. logic never struck me as this very, very rigid way of looking at things that, I mean, Tuvok seems almost naively stupid in a way, and that's not how I think yeah. of Vulcans. Well, and especially because I, I, again, I said, I think in some of the earlier episodes, I thought Tuvok was intended to be a lot younger than he is. And... He is. He doesn't act his age sometimes. Is that a, the hallmark of who Tuvok is? 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to respond to that because I don't know if we know how a young Vulcan would respond to this. I mean, hmm. I, I, I don't, and I don't think that the show thinks that Tuvok is immature. So is this such, is this just a case of the show not understanding its own subtext? I'm not, I'm not really sure. And, hmm. you know, I don't, I don't, it doesn't strike me as immaturity so much as it strikes me as just a, a, a lack of logic on the part of the writers, frankly. I, I don't know that I can ascribe a coherent motive to this because I don't know that there is one. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they, they, they're going very much with Vulcans as having strong passions and emotions and having strong darkness and violence in them, but always under control. And again, that, that is a, that is something that has been established about Vulcans that the show is kind of leaning into, but is also kind of viewing that as the dominant interpretation of Vulcans for them. Right, because I, I I think that this is the first episode that we ever get any sort of indication that there's actually a a a physical or biochemical um, way that Vulcans are suppressing their emotions. I mean, in, in the past, it was always sort of left kind of vague as to how they were doing this, and there apparently is a region of the Vulcan brain that is physically uh, uh, that physically exists and that is biochemically helping them to suppress their emotions, and. I also don't know how I feel about that revelation. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, it, again, it's just like it's a good episode. I think that that it's a good episode for Tim Russ. It's it's obviously a very very striking episode, and it's very very well done. But there's just some weird things about it that I don't know are very well thought out, especially in terms of of the interpretation this episode has of the way that Vulcans uh, exist. I mean, let's go talk to evolution again. Um. This is like uh, how recently? How when did the uh, what the hell is his name? Kalas? No, that's the Klingon Surak. guy, right? Who is the Surak? When was Surak in the uh, in, in the timeline? Well, I don't know, but but I I think that and and I guess I'm a bad track. Lo- well, they have this, but but well, in the beginning of the episode, I mean, we the, I think it's the point of of Neelix talking about Vulcan holidays at the beginning of the episode, of course, because. Yeah. He has him talking about the the Caltel season, and you know Tuvok says, "Well, there is no Caltel season; it's just a day of meditation. It's very somber, and you know." And then and then Neelix brings up the the other one that I didn't write down the name of, but it seems like a much more debauched affair. The Vulcan Room Mary. It's like yeah, it's like a Lupercalia. Yeah. Well, either way, these these things are within historical memory. Well, that, this is not. Yeah. Well, that that was my point. Is that the 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 what was it called? The Room Mary was. Uh, yeah. uh, Tuvok says it hasn't been observed for a millennia so not that yeah so that is that is long enough time for a series of disciplines and uh meditations to be created to uh to where the disciplines of logic can be developed where all of this can be if this if the vulcan way is mental control is meditation is is a sense of discipline in the, in several thousands of years, that can be created. An evolution of the brain cannot be created in thousands of years. It's much longer than that, and so I I I don't buy that the Vulcan brain evolved in the time. Right, right. I mean, maybe then. maybe you could sort of explain this away by saying that the reason Vulcans are able to suppress their emotions is because they had this region of the brain that wasn't used or something. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it, it just it's a little bit weird. I. I think that it's a way for the show to do what it wants to do, which is to show, a, yeah. a, a, you know, a completely unhinged Vulcan. 
And it's a very striking scene. It's very well done. I mean, Tim Ross apparently used it in his audition reel because it's a great, it's a great scene. It showcases his acting abilities very nicely. Uh, and I love how emotional Tuvok is an extension of normal Tuvok. He's not acting completely different. No. His speech patterns are the same. And, and so in a way that kind of retroactively gives us a clue to the range of Tuvok's emotions normally. We we see the way he's phrasing certain things and this is how he's really meaning them maybe and that kind of is creepy no i absolutely think it's creepy and i think that tim russ does a really good job with it i mean i guess for for me this is a really interesting episode for for the ways in which it kind of plays around with our ideas of vulcans and you know i've already said that i have some problems with the 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 physical or biochemical sort of stuff in the episode but you just have to kind of go with it for the episode to work and when when there's a lot of that in this series yeah we can we can talk about that at some point uh <laughs> there's a reason why star trek, star trek voyager is quote-unquote lesser star trek uh i don't think it's bad yeah. necessarily but it's certainly not as uh well thought out or 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 as revelatory as some of the earlier shows um that it is the case that showing this is really the first time aside from very brief moments of uh, Spock, for example, and I'm thinking of things like the very end of a muck time, uh, but he's also half human. And so there's that that additional complexity yeah. there. that this is really the first time that we see a, a, a Vulcan who is not suppressing their emotions at all. And it's it's terrifying. Now, I'm I'm the com- second time we've seen Sarek when he was extremely ill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking more of Cybok from Star Trek V, which uh, mm. I don't know what Star Trek V is, so we'll just leave it alone. But um, <laughs> whenever we have seen a Vulcan go emotional, it has been a very bad and a, and a disorder. Yeah, and and I mean, obviously, we don't know that that this version of of Tuvok is the real Tuvok, quote unquote, because he is being affected by the transference of Mm. suitors psychopathic tendencies and so there is kind of an indication that this is a it's almost like this is a half suitor half tuvok kind of situation in a way just as the calm collected suitor is sort of half suitor half tuvok suvok or Tudor. Oh, just oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I, I think, I think that our audience knows why I just made that noise because there's an episode of the show mm-hmm. coming up in just a little while that is going to be very interesting for Richard to see. Oh God. Okay, I just want to just a, a, a completely unrelated side note. I was brushing through the comments on I think the thirty sevens and. Uh, somebody commented and was saying it about. By the way, Richard, this is spoiler, so don't read past this point. So thank you. I like this uh, <laughs> that that you I would have been spoiled because I do read the comments anyway. Yes, Richard um, does read the comments. He, don't don't say he doesn't read the comments. He does read the comments. Um, well, I guess there's that one line when they're talk when they're talking about Suter at the beginning, and Janeway is all like, "Well, you let this guy, you know." What? And Chakotay has this line: "Well, in the Maquis, we didn't take resumes." And you have to think like uh, he had Seska, he had Tuvok, he had. Uh, suitor so yeah there's a reason there's a reason for why you had a lot of traders on your ship or people who weren't really working for you maybe you really should have taken a resume or asked a question or something like that again my fan theory is that uh 
Chakotay's ship wasn't a real Maquis fighter. It was kind of one of the... They were giving it the shit jobs, and they kind of knew that it would be compromised. And so, you know, all right, you know, this will make it a little easier for spies to get on your ship, and now we're not going to give you anything real. That's my theory. I think that's a good theory. Uh, Especially because, let's face it, Chakotay was new to the Maquis. He he had only been in... uh, recently at that point because he was taking up his father yeah that that is true well he he may not have been the best maquis and i think that that's probably pretty clear for at this point anyway uh i just like the idea that the maquis should take resumes like yeah uh well two two things i want to mention before we wrap this episode of the podcast up so uh number one is that uh Tom Paris is running a gambling operation, and I don't really have anything to say about it. I only mention it because uh, it is somewhat important, and I will leave it at that. Oh, no. Okay, because I wanted to ignore the B-plot. I think it's it's fair to mostly ignore it. It is only important for a very specific reason that will be revealed at a later time. Okay, is it that Tom Paris evolves again and becomes Ferengi and he's Quark in the future? Which is how he knew that he was go- he was selling the con, uh, that the, the fake crystals or whatever in the first episode? Robert McNeil is too tall to be a Ferengi, I'm sorry to say. A v- uh, evolution. I mean, he's going to be evolved to be shorter. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I want to mention is the scene where Tuvok murders the holographic Neelix, which is very, very striking. And it also indicates that perhaps Tuvok is annoyed, is more annoyed by Neelix than he's letting on. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he had that uh, program lying around as it is like you gotta figure that you know murdering neelix is something that everybody wants to do at some point and so there probably is a default holographic program but then at the same time that makes you think that there are a lot of programs where you can kill your friends and co-workers aren't there like that is you know everybody says the holodeck oh it's just going to be used for porn no it's going to be used so you can murder the shit out of your annoying co-workers yeah absolutely I mean, maybe this is why there is no psychopathic tendencies in the Federation, because holographic technology exists, and you can now just murder whoever you want and get it out of your system. Yeah. These violent video games have their uses. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you would like to leave your thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just watched, Threshold or Meld, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, which also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are releasing our episode on the X-Files, Excelsis Day, and Aubrey on Thursday in just two days. So please do go to tuninginshow.com and check that out. We are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes Dreadnought and Death Wish. It's D-Week on Trek About, and no, I'm not talking about the D. 